as you're turning back to Ephesians 1, it is a joy to have the, the gift of, of music, <clears throat> the great joyful sound that comes out of instruments and voices and uh, really which uh, is an outflowing of the heart. Earlier, <clears throat> I jokingly made mention of uh, you know Mother's Day and, and even uh, people not understanding anymore what a mother is. We're studying Ephesians, and Ephesians is uh, one of those letters, one of those books that's written from a pastor to his former church. It's a, it's a letter of instruction. It's a letter that we can learn and glean and grow from. It's a letter that begins with a proper understanding of redemption. It's a letter that helps us as a church to understand what are we doing here, right? I mean, why are we here today? What's the point? Um, we think of something like redemption, and, and Ephesians says, well, let me, let me remind you why we're here. First and foremost, it, it, it's about the redemptive process in which God has transformed us from sinners into followers, right? We, we will still sin, but, but now there's a, there's a change. There's a difference. What's that difference? We have been redeemed. Our sin has been paid for. And so in that now, we, we have new understanding. There's, there's great mysteries. There's great debates. How did we get here? Right? And so, you know, there's the great argument, creation, you know, a designer over just accidentally things happen through evolution. It's very, very pivotal in our understanding. But look, we can't get arrogant in this. The only reason why we know or have any understanding is because because the Bible tells us so. Otherwise, we would be just like anybody thrown out in the middle of the ocean, just bobbing around, flailing about, trying to figure it out, right? But we know. How do we know? Because God says, in the beginning, I created the heavens and the earth. And we work from there. And lo and behold, wow, does that make sense? It's crazy how all our written history, all our actual real evidence that we have isn't from, you know, three million years ago. It's from about 5,000 years ago, which ironically is exactly what dates the Bible. I'm always mystified. I, I, when I hear, you know, a debate about, you know, evolution, it's like, well, we just discovered something from two you know, two million years ago, I always, you know, think to myself, I wish I was on stage. I got, are you sure it wasn't one million, you know, 832 years? I mean, what, have we're, they, they could, they would never be able to answer that. So why not say 5 million? Why not say 10 million? I mean, you're just, you're just throwing it out there. Well, we, we want to know how we live. Okay, so, so the Lord has saved us. The Lord has pulled us out of that, that mental pit of despair of not knowing or understanding things. I mean, you guys understand that you are the unsophisticated, right? You're the uneducated. That's why you don't understand that Mother's Day is, you know, not just for mothers. It could, it could be for anybody now. Um, it's because you're not sophisticated enough to even understand the argument. See, we think that that is so basic and silly. There's a male and a female. Again, ironically, that's the Lord lays that out in the first two pages of the Bible. Um, but see, we're, we're not sophisticated enough to really even... <laughs> enter into the debate that that's that's where their mindset is and so in their their knowledge their sophistication they become very very smug and then we become very very frustrated but but i want to encourage you don't be like that um we're, we're saved by grace uh we we've we've had wrong wrong ideas too we followed the wrong teachers. Um, 
And so we're, we're so grateful that we have the Word of God that, that sets us straight. And we come here and, and, and it's like, okay, I'm trying to make it through life and there's real life things happening. There's things with, with work. There's things with school. There's things with, you know, what am I going to do with my life? And, um, and so when we come to church, we have all these anxieties weighing on us. Well, this book is, is this book of Ephesians in particular, it's, it understands that. This is a, a, a letter written to people too who are living life, mothers and fathers and sons and daughters and people who are working and trying to eat and survive and pay rent and all that kind of stuff. And so where does it begin? And ironically, it begins with, you know, redemption. Let, let's, let's reset here. Um, we are saved because God sovereignly saves us, right? That's how the book opens up, that, that God chooses us before the foundation of the world. Uh, he predestined us. He adopts us as sons and daughters. And, and he reveals this great mystery that the way we're saved is through him, through his death, through his burial and his resurrection. There's nothing that we did. We were not because we're great people, not because we give a lot of money, not because we're so obedient. No, it's, it's this gracious, lavish act that, that God performs with a kind intention to save us. Um, that's revealed in the, in the first verses of Ephesians 1. And so we have a letter of, of, of encouragement. We have a blueprint here, as, as we mentioned last week, in Revelation. The book of Revelation makes mention of the, of the Ephesian church. And it looks back at the Ephesian church and, and, and rebukes the church for saying and reminding them that they left their first love. It did a lot of great things. But they left their first love. And so for us as a church, for us as individuals, we don't want to leave our first love of the Lord. How do we even begin to fathom to do that? We'll take him for granted, just like in any relationship, just like in any marriage. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. But when you take the other person for granted, well, that's the beginning of the slippery slope. The end of the slippery slope is all the arguments and all the, the, the end results. But the beginning is taking that person who loves you so much that, he's, that he saved you. And so ironically, that's where God starts to remind you of that, to remind us of that. So today we want to look at, we've already looked at the sovereign redemption, the mystery of redemption. Today we want to look at the resources of redemption. There's four resources in the, in the final verses of chapter 1, 15 through 23. Uh, there's a spirit of wisdom, a surpassing greatness of his power. Uh, the sovereign sits above all and then subjection for all. And so I mentioned this phrase resources. You know, in education, uh, in schools, there's a, there's a resource room. You guys know what the resource room is? That's that room in the back that all the teachers get to share. And, and in that room, they have, you know, all the extra scissors and papers and, you know, the, the curly Q special scissors and the, the stick it notes and the colored markers. And, and these are tools, these are aids to help, to help the teacher teach. Right. And so the teachers have a, 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 a resource room to aid them. Well, redemption has resources, too. Um, and so we want to kind of look at the, the aids for the, the help aids for, for redemption. The first resource is the spirit of wisdom. The spirit of wisdom, verse 15, for this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. This is Paul regarding the church of Ephesus, verse 17, that the 
God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in all the saints. Well, this first resource then is this spirit of wisdom. It's interesting that the Holy Spirit and the spirit that is given to us, that that, that word is, uh, has, has kind of been hijacked, right? Uh, we use spirit all the time in our common vernacular, just not in the terms of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you'll see it all the time in, in sports. You see it all the time at schools. You know, we have the spirit. Yes, we do. Okay, they're not singing about the Holy Spirit. They're singing about something else. They're singing about this enthusiastic feeling, right? There's a, a romantic kind of, uh, you know, endearment. They, they make spirit wear, right? If you're not sure who I root for, then I'll wear the colors. You know, I'll wear the team name, um, the logo. It shows my support. It, it identifies me. So here in Washington, you know, if you were a Husky fan, you know, you've got a lot of purple in your house. Um, sorry about that. Um, and if you're a Cougar fan, well, there's no talking to you. So, um, But you show the support, right? Even by the things you wear. You buy hats, T-shirts, underwear, everything. You're branded. You're marked. Well... Interesting enough, they, they draw that from, they, they do draw from the idea of this embodiment of, of the Spirit. Do you have the Spirit as a believer? Do I see the Spirit of God moving in you? Now, that's an interesting question. I could probably identify most of your sports teams, that kind of thing, right? Could I really identify from you the, the, the spirit of the Lord active in your life? Well, for this reason, verse 15 starts off, for this reason, I too, having heard of the faith. Well, whenever you see something like for this reason, you have to ask yourself, for what reason? Right? There's, there's an assumption here. He's moving on moving down the, the path of his argument, well, we got to back up a little bit. For what reason, I too, having heard of the faith? Well, the reason is found in the previous passages. And as a little reminder, it's the, the reason was, well, there was a message of truth. It goes back to what I was saying. We have the word of God. We have the true word of God that tells us what's true. How do I know what a man and a woman is? I mean, I, I guess I would have no idea. That's literally where we're at today. I have no idea. We just make it up as we go. Well, you know what? We've been given a message of what's actually true. And truth matters. Truth has ramifications. For this reason, well, backing up for the, the gospel of your salvation. Your salvation, your redemption is all tied into the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's through belief that you have this faith. It's, it's a belief. It's a belief, not an action. It's a belief. And you're sealed in that faith. You're sealed in that belief. Again, coming here every single Sunday forever, donating money, serving, that doesn't seal you in anything. Your faith seals you through faith. Your faith in what in particular? In what specifically? In the Lord Jesus Christ. Your faith isn't in your, your partner. No matter how loving or godly or faithful or devout they may be, you cannot be saved by your spouse, by your daddy, by your mama, by your grandpa. That doesn't save you. It's in the Lord Jesus that saves you. We see that as Paul's moving forward in this letter, for this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's all about in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
which exists among you for your love for all the saints. So Paul's writing this letter and he's writing a letter to the church and and, and the, the given is, I know your love for one another. What a great thing to say. We talk about what, what, what's our spirit, right? What, what's our spirit? What's our, our, our rah, rah, relic? It's, it's our love for one another. It, it's not the big giant building. It is not the big giant building, right? That's for sure. It's our love for brothers and sisters in Christ. It starts with brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Well, we have a special bond. We have a special membership. It's not an exclusive membership. This is not a clique or a club in that way. We have the special bond of knowing I'm a wretched, no good sinner. And the Lord saved me by faith of nothing that I did of my own, just a, a pure gift. And I'm sitting next to somebody who is probably worse than me. And I love them because they've been saved by grace too. And they love the Lord too. And now we have a new program. And we have a new team. And we rally around the Lord. And it's in Christ that we live. And Paul can see this in these people. He can see this spirit in these people. And Paul does not cease giving thanks. Part of that spirit is, you know, when you love the person next to you, well, we know what love is in 1 Corinthians, uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 10. Let me make sure here. I'm going blank. 1 Corinthians 10 or 13? Let me double check. 13, 4 through 7. Thank you. Um, it's funny. I talk about 1 Corinthians almost every week. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, it lays out what that love is. So it's not like, well, well you know, we come in here and you look pretty. So, you know what? It, I love seeing you. High five. It's great to be here. No, it's be kind with one another. It, it's don't brag. Don't be arrogant. Don't keep account of wrong suffered. Bear all things. I mean, there's action behind this, this powerful word, word love. So the saints are loving each other. And Paul says, I don't, I don't cease giving thanks for you. Don't cease giving thanks for one another. Is that on your prayer journal? When you're thinking about the people in this room and giving thanks for them, that'll change your life. That'll change how you treat one another. Giving thanks for them while making mention in your prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom. Paul is praying for his brothers and sisters, for a spirit of wisdom. Are we praying for one another that we, for each other, would have this spirit, not only just a, a, um, the Holy Spirit, not just a, a spirit of unity, but a spirit of wisdom. You know what the world lacks? Wisdom. Genuine Wisdom. We were talking about this the other day in, in men's group and, and how Proverbs will give you wisdom. Read your Proverbs. I was talking about this with Susan in parenting. Read your Proverbs. If you understand your Proverbs, you'll, you're literally reading from the playbook of God. And you're literally gaining the wisdom and the insight of the Lord God Almighty, the creator of the universe, the beginning and the end, who's been here forever, the Alpha and the Omega. He may have a couple things to teach you. He may understand a little bit better than you how it should be done. Marriage, right? Marriage is not easy. Uh, relationships, relationships, not easy. How we work, how we live, okay? So the resource then of, our, of redemption and Paul with this, this love that he has for this church says, look, I'm going to pray that you have a spirit of wisdom. Now, we don't want to get too ahead of ourselves here. Is this like some mystical, supernatural enlightenment? 
I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches and the glories of, of his inheritance in the saints. So Paul's praying for this spirit of wisdom and of the revelation and knowledge of him that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what the hope of his calling is and the riches and the glories of his inheritance. So we, we have an idea of what this, this spirit of wisdom is. It, it, it's not just, again, like this mystical enlightenment that's you know three tiers above uh, what anybody else is thinking. No, it's basic stuff. It's a spirit of of revelation in the knowledge of him. So, so we have the revelation of the gospel of the word of God that tells us about Jesus. So what Paul's actually saying here is, look, here's your resource for you. you want to understand redemption, understand this book, understand this book. It reveals to you the knowledge of God. Our true knowledge of God does not come out of this book. You want to get confused real fast? Start listening to man trying to explain who God is outside of the Bible. It'll get crazy real quick. It gets crazy enough when people want to just take selective passages and reinvent the Bible into another little Bible or another little religion and an offshoot religion. It'll get crazy that way too. And so Paul's praying that they have this spirit, the Holy Spirit that, that unifies us with actual wisdom that comes from the revelation of God. And he prays that our hearts would be enlightened. The enlightenment comes from just our hearts opening up and understanding that. We cannot make it without this book. There is no rah-rah spirit that puts us on the same page. That's just for sports teams. It's conjured up and, and, and made up. There's a Holy Spirit that will unify us and direct us and guide us back to his word so that empirically we know this is what's right or wrong. How do you know? Well, let's turn to Timothy. Let's turn to Titus and I'll show you. I don't understand what love is. The world has a lot of definitions of, of what love is. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. And this is what God says what love is. I don't know what I'm supposed to do as a woman nowadays. There's, you know, with the feminists and the, all the different kind of crazy stuff. Let's turn to Proverbs 31 and get our arms wrapped around. This is what a, a godly woman looks like. I don't know what I'm supposed to do as, as a man anymore. Am I supposed to stay home, raise kids, have kids? Um, I don't know. Read your Proverbs and understand that you're like an ant. Go to work and, and, and work every day. And This is how we get our, our true wisdom. True wisdom. The source is from the Spirit of God. And Paul makes a, a point here saying, I'm going to pray for you guys. I'm going to pray that you have this Spirit. And then again, he goes back to, so that you may know what the hope of this calling is, the riches and the glory of the inheritance of the saints. Paul will do this. He'll, he'll give you just like a little line, kind of explode on a big theological thing, and then he'll come back and remind you again Look, the real understanding is understanding what our true hope is. Do we get confused as to what our hope is? Our hope is not in our political parties. Our hope is not in how well our sports teams do. Our hope is not in how big our bank accounts are. Our hope is not in where we work. That is not our hope. Our hope is in, again, this inheritance that we get. That's a future inheritance in heaven. <clears throat> and so, and it's rich and it's glorious. And you know what else is really cool? We get to share it together as fellow saints. 
We are family. This church is together in that. And so that's our first resource then of redemption is being reminded that we're redeemed and have this great hope for the calling of our inheritance. It's a discerning spirit that we've been given and empowered with by and through our salvation. It's part of the new covenant promise that took place on the cross when Jesus died and promised us to give us the spirit. What a beautiful thing. Well, the second resource of redemption is a surpassing greatness of his power, his power, his power, his power. Verse 19. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power? I love these questions. Well, let me tell you, what is the great surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So our second resource is his great surpassing greatness, his power. By definition, not yours. Say it out loud. I have no power. I don't have any power. I hate to break it too. You can ask my wife and kids. I'm not special. Not special. Our power comes from the Lord. His surpassing. That means it's, it's, his power isn't even measured. You can't even measure his power. He's the source to those who believe. Not those who do a bunch of amazing things. Not those who preach sermons. Not those who... No, to those who believe. Again, by faith. His power. His power that are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might. His power. His might. It's repeated for emphasis. Which He brought about in Christ. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. Let let me remind you who this source of redemption is. He's that one Christ who died and was raised from the dead. And by the way, he sits on the throne in heaven. In case you want to check more about his credentials. This is the power of our redemption. If we were going to the resource room and need a little, a, a little, a, a little extra, you know, charge, it, it would, it would be to go back and, and to see his greatness and his might and his power. They'd have nothing to do with you. It's not a workout room back there. You know what I mean? I just need to do like a couple more reps. Just, just give me, give me an hour, you know, and I'll, I'll bulk up here. You, you can't bulk up. It's through his might, his power. How, how, how do we see this? Again, in verse 20, which he brought about in Christ. Where's his power come from? The power in the resurrection. Where's his power come from? He seated him at the right hand in heaven. His power comes from the throne. His power comes from being in heaven. That, that's the kind of power we're talking about. We get confused and lost in some of our contemplative questions. Just remember that our, the key resource of our redemption comes from him. And again, I'm reminded of hymns, great hymns like, you know, leaning on the everlasting arms, right? Why do we sing these hymns to... to sing verses to remind us of, of what the scriptures have told us. And so when we're singing, leaning on the everlasting arms, what a joy divine. Our joy is not just a temporary happy joy, right? Like, you know, winning a game, you know, no, it's not, you know, having a good meal. No, our joy is divine. What a joy divine. What a blessedness. What a peace of mind. Safe 
and secure. That's the kind of resource we have. Why? Because it's the greatness of his unmeasured power. The third resource is very similar. Again, it's just a, a, a re-emphasis. Verse 21, who is far above all rule and authority. Are you not sure who this one is who sits on the throne, who has the power over the dead, who, who is the king in the heavenly places? He's the one who's far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. You want to talk about emphasis. Um, you know, if you're going to describe somebody, maybe you're going to describe your, your, you know, your, your wife and it's like, you're, you're, you, you just said, well, she's all right. I don't think that would quite cut it. Right. It's like, she's beautiful. She's faithful. She's, you know, and you just keep going, right? You don't stop. Well, that's what's happening here. This third resource of redemption is, is this is the one who sits above on the throne. Don't get caught up in, in, well, Jesus is, is, is my, 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 my friend, my compadre, right? You know, you're being a bit flippant here. He's the one who sits on the throne of, of, in heaven. What does that mean? Well, the Bible tells us here it means all rule. He's the one who has all rule. That means he makes all the rules, right? All, he's the director of all the laws. Well, that's a lot of power. Not only does he direct the laws, he has all authority over the laws. So he's... The, he, he's the jurisdiction of the law. He makes the laws and he rules over the laws. So there's no like loophole. Yeah, I know that's what the law says. But, you know, the police can arrest him, but the judge will just let him go. No, it's the same guy. Okay? He has the power. He is the actual influencer. He has the power. We have these things called influencers now. Some of you older folk. Uh, who maybe aren't on social media and, you know, you don't understand this term influencers. These are the people who are, you know, like, you know, they do their social media and they've got, you know, a million people following them. And so they're influential because a million people follow them. What do they do? Nothing. You know, they walk around and, you know, talk and gossip and go places and they're influencers. Influencers of what? Of nothing. So you've got a million people following nothing, putting weight and importance on nothing. No, this one is actual an influencer who has actual rule, actual authority, actual power, and then dominion. These are all nuanced words in the Greek. Dominion, which is supremacy. Just in case you didn't get it, he is the supreme being. Job uh, 38 is, is just one of my, my, my favorite um, passages. I, I find myself going to this in, um, in prayer a lot. Um, it just like gets me back on track. And that's what Ephesians is trying to do. Get, just let, let me remind you who you are. You're saved by faith. You're redeemed. By Christ, it's all your power, all your might comes from, from Christ. He is the one with the great power. He is the one who sits above on the throne. And here's Job 38 to remind us of his power, of his dominion, of his supremacy. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? You could write your name right there. Will you write my name? Okay, the, the, your, your counsel is dark and without knowledge. That's what he's saying about men. That's what he's saying about the mind of a man. Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you will instruct me. 
So, so God's being sarcastic. He's like, all right, you guys think you know it all? Why don't you instruct me? I have a couple questions for you. Verse 4, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Let's start there. In the beginning, I created the heavens of the earth. As Ken Ham would say, where were you? Were you there? Were you there? I'll tell you, you weren't there 5,000 years and you certainly weren't there 5 million years ago. When I laid the foundation of the earth, tell me if you have understanding. Verse 8, who enclosed the sea with the doors? I love that one. When bursting forth that went out from the womb, the sea, and if you go to the ocean, as you know, I'm a Southern California boy, in this great, big, massive ocean, you, you look as far as the eye can see, and there's water everywhere. It's like, why does it stop here? Why here? Why not 20 yards behind me? You know what happens if it's 200 yards behind me? Billions of dollars of real estate's destroyed. What happens if the ocean goes, Oop! right? Little hiccup, little surge. Los Angeles wiped out. Could be a good thing. Um, <laughs> God says, who closed the sea? Who enclosed that? Verse 11, he said, thus far you shall come, but no farther. And here you sh shall your proud waves stop. God says when to stop. He is supreme. He's supreme. You want to understand what supreme is? Verse 12, have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place? I'll tell you when to rise, dawn. <laughs> Have you understood, verse 18, the expanse of the earth? Tell me if you know all of this. You think you're so smart? Please, school me. Question, verse 19, where is the way to the dwelling of light? Can you explain to me where light exists and starts and ends? Um And it keeps going. I mean, I, it's just verse 39. Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of young lions when they crouch in their dens and they lie in wait in their lair? Who prepares the raven its nourishment when its young cry to God and wander without food? See, God is absolutely supreme. This is why your understanding of creation is so essential because if you don't understand who created the universe, who made you, then you don't understand who God is. And then you don't have fear of who God is as creator, as maker, as the clay maker, and you're just the lump of clay. And what can the clay maker do with the lump of clay? Well, he can shape it and mold it and carve it and craft it. And you could either look like the statue David or you could look like Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> and if you look like Mr. Potato Head, then they would just tear you apart because you know what? And so God is the sovereign who sits above in absolute rule, authority, power and dominion not only this age but the age to come we just got done studying revelation this isn't just like he's just a good a big powerful king here on earth he no his throne is in heaven his throne is forever he's the alpha and the omega the beginning he's everything there is no end so you Want a resource for your redemption? Well, go to the one who sits above forever. That's a good resource. I don't want the temporary one. You got a temporary pass, so just good for the weekend, right? That, that was what the old sacrificial system was. You got atonement for a year. Good luck. I don't want that atonement. I want eternal redemption. 
Well, the fourth resource that we see of redemption is it's subjection for all. Subjection for all. Verse 22. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so we see that, look, part of the resource of our redemption is, is God puts all things in subjection under his feet. Okay, subjection, again, is that, that idea of the king and the king. Uh, subjection also has the idea in the Greek, it's hupotasso, um, which is a place of ranking. God is here, you're here, right? Let's be clear of the ranking order. See, again, as humans, we like to, this is what we like to do. Well, I'm not God. I just want to, I just want to question God, right? And then, so, so I'm going to question God because I don't think God really did it the right way. And some of his rules, I don't, I don't really understand why he has these rules. And that doesn't make sense to me. And so, well, you know, the way I would do it would be different. And this is the way I'm going to do it. Well, you just put yourself above God. No, you're in subjection. This is your rank as bond servant, as sinful servant. God makes mentions in Psalm 110 that he'll make his enemies a footstool, right? That's that idea of he sits on the throne and, you know, and just rests his feet on on his enemies, right? We're, we're, we're not God. We're all in subjection under his feet. And then he says this at the end of chapter one. And he put all things of subjection and he gave him his head over all things to the church. See, that doesn't seem like a big deal to us because we talk about the church all the time. But back here in Ephesians one, this is a big deal. The church then is this, it's a new thing. And an understanding then of the church is essential for the progress of their spiritual development and growth. The church, let me be crystal clear, does not save you. Okay, the church does not save you. We're not saved by the church. You can count up in Ephesians 1 how many times it says in Christ, in him, in him, in him, in Christ. 14 times. It does not say you are saved and redeemed by the church. The church doesn't save us. That's a different religion. That's a, a, a false tenet. Um, but God is placed and gives the church as a function now of how we are going to live and how the church is a resource of our redemption. The church then is going to play a pivotal and powerful role. And we need to understand what that is. We need to understand what that is as a church so that we don't get written up and say, well, you guys did okay, but you know, you lost your first love and um, yeah, you didn't understand anything. And you know what? Um, well, we've read some of those letters in Revelation. Uh, we don't want to be spit out of God's mouth. And so we want to be diligent to understand and we will. And that's why we're in Ephesians and we'll, we'll, we'll work uh, to understanding more about the church. But I want to read you just a little, just a little foreshadowing in Ephesians 5. In Ephesians 5, we, we get a, a clear picture. So this is where we're heading. We just got done studying Revelation. We understand that Christ comes and takes the church as his bride, right? So this picture is really important. The church and the relationship with Christ. Well, in Ephesians 5, we, we see this laid out. I'll start at verse uh, 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. What gives him authority? Why is he worthy to break the seal? Because he's the one who died and paid the price. 
But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives are subject to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. And now we're going to see this beautiful picture of what Christ and the relationship Christ has with the church. First, we know that Christ gave himself up for her. Why? Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and blameless. We are as a church to pursue holiness and blamelessness. That's our desire. Remember in Romans? Well, you know, the more we sin, the more it really shows how gracious and forgiving God is, how awesome and powerful he is in his redemption. So maybe we should sin more and God could get more glory and honor and praise. And it's, May it never be, says Romans. In fact, we're in God's role in with us in the church is to present us in glory with no spot, no wrinkle, holy and blameless. Verse 28, so husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. The church is a place where we get nourished and cherished. Right? Verse 30, because we are members of his body. We're members of the body of Christ. Right? So, so our membership is not to, to, to the building, not to the denomination, not to me. Our membership is to Christ. He is the anchor. He is the anchor. And so that's this idea then of we're subjection all of us are in subjection as the church under his feet. But the subjection is not as, as a slave or an enemy. It's a subjection like that of a bride, a marriage. And so we'll study and see what that looks like more. At the end of the day, Jesus then is the ultimate resource for our redemption. He's our resource. What makes the gospel of grace so mysterious is in one hand, it's so simple and easy. Just believe. Just believe. And the other hand, it's absolutely uncomprehendable how the God of the universe would die for us. We're not worthy, but we can walk in a manner worthy of the calling that Jesus Christ gives to us. That's an amazing and a beautiful thing that we're going to get an opportunity to study because in Ephesians, it, it, it's, it's an encouragement to this church and an encouragement to us to, 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 to not lose our first love. And it begins with this reminder that it's all about being in Christ Jesus. And why should I be in Christ Jesus? Because he's the one who died for us. And that's what we're going to celebrate here in a few moments with, with communion. And so we don't take this lightly. Again, communion does not save you. Communion is, is an ordinance. And, and we do this to remember and to affirm what Christ has done. We're, we're affirming that, you know what? I'm a sinner and, and I require and need the blood of Christ to pay the price for my sins. And so I want to re be reminded of that. I want to pay homage and dedication to the Lord for doing that for me. So I don't take it lightly. In fact, in, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven, we're not to take this in an unworthy manner. Uh, we talked a little about this the other night. Well, what, what's in there? There's many unworthy manners, but just a couple. First of all, an unworthy manner is not being a believer. If you're not a believer, then then don't take. That's okay. 
This is for for those who who are believers in Christ, who follow and and have proclaimed the name of Jesus by faith. Um, One who violates forgiveness. Matthew 18 is a great reminder that, that the one who desires to accept full forgiveness, but then won't accept it, won't give it to others, is not worthy of the table. This is the idea of you, you, you can't have, you know, anger in your heart, hatred in your heart that leads to unforgiveness with somebody else and then come to the table and say, I believe in forgiveness. Well, no, you don't. If you believe in forgiveness, then you will reciprocate that forgiveness. And that's not an easy thing. Unrepentant sin, it's, it's the idea in, in, in 1 John 3, 8, one who, who practices sin. It's not one who's sinless because we have sin, but it's that one who, who's continuously doing it. And really, it's in an unrepentant manner. They don't care. Um, they're rejecting God through their sin. And then 1 John also mentions this, one who, if you love the world, then you don't love me. We, we come to the table as an open proclamation that we love the Lord, that we will scream from the mountaintops, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Right? It's not the world. You know, I, don't, I don't love the world. If you love the world, then you don't love Christ. And we have to be very, very careful because we're in the world. But we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. And so, when we take this, we, we, we want to do it in a, in a humble, worthy manner. Not as people of perfection. Um, that, that's not the point. But we come to the table and we examine our hearts. This is a, a, like a, like a, you know, like a tune-up. And so, as we hand out the elements, uh, examine your own heart. Um, Confess before the Lord, and He is faithful to forgive. And so let me hand out the, uh, the bread.